Macro Podcast number 62 for January 3rd, 2007, sponsored by MYOB, Small Business Management Software. MYOB helps you to mind your own business smarter. Hi, welcome to another Macworld podcast, the first of 2007. I'm your host, Macworld Senior Editor Chris Breen. Yes, it's 2007. For the majority of the U.S. population, January means it's time to hunker down after the holidays, turn up the heat, scrawl a few thank you notes, and for God's sake, put down the knife and fork. Yes, now we regret every glass of eggnog, extra helping of pie, and the chocolatey somethings that always seem to appear and to quickly disappear down our collective gullets in December. So much for the majority. For Mac users, January means something entirely different. The December holidays are largely a prelude to winter's really important event, Macworld Expo. Held this year from January 8th through the 12th at San Francisco's Moscone Center, Macworld Expo is big news to Mac users for a variety of reasons. First of all, Macworld Expo is Apple's big consumer showcase, kicked off by Steve Jobs' keynote address on the Tuesday morning of Expo. While Apple and Jobs tend to save the geekier announcements for the summer's Worldwide Developers Conference, the stuff most people are interested, cool new Macs and iPod models, updates to iLife and iWork, improvements to the iTunes Store, dot .Mac upgrades, and, of course, the one more thing, and sometimes that's a couple more things, these are announced at Macworld Expo. Secondly, it's a great place to meet and greet. Anyone who's anyone in the Mac and iPod business is on hand for Expo. More than likely, you'll run into someone you've wanted to meet. Thirdly, as Macworld Expo's Paul Kent mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Expo is also about learning. The Macworld conferences are a great place to learn new skills or improve the skills you have. Whether your interest is IT, iLife, iPods, photography, web design, music, or troubleshooting, you'll find a conference that fits your needs. And finally, it's a hell of a lot of fun. You can grab free swag from lots of exhibitors. You can get to lay hands on the coolest new stuff. And San Francisco at any time of year is a wonderful town to hang out in. Later in the show, we'll talk specifically about what's happening at Expo. And I'll offer up a plea to Steve Jobs for one improvement that I'd like him to put in place. But before we get there, I, as a kind of sort of San Francisco local, would like to offer a few hints to those coming from out of town. And here they are. First... Don't call it Frisco. San Francisco is a very mellow place, so no one's going to beat you up if you utter this forbidden F word. But if you want to fit in, you'll call San Francisco the city or simply San Francisco. Two, skip Fisherman's Wharf. I know, I know, all the tourist guides talk up the splendors of Fisherman's Wharf, but unless you're going there to look at the sea lions who hang out on just about any free-floating piece of wood, which is very cool... You're going to be disappointed. It's kitschy, it's full of tourists and t-shirt shops, and honestly, you can get better seafood just about anywhere else. Three, don't skip Chinatown, North Beach, Golden Gate Park, or a long and possibly chilly walk across the Golden Gate Bridge. These are unique and wonderful parts of San Francisco and worth your while. Chinatown and North Beach are great places to eat and aren't terribly far from Moscone. Golden Gate Park is a little farther, but it's lovely, has some great museums, and in winter it's not packed with people. If you can, go beyond 19th Avenue on down toward the ocean. It's a part of the park that a lot of people don't see. And the Golden Gate Bridge is an architectural wonder that can best be appreciated on foot. Four. San Francisco is not New York, 
While the town isn't exactly without cabs, you sometimes have to wait a while for a cab. During peak hours, you may find yourself waiting in a long line for a cab at your hotel. If the weather's okay, and more often than not it is, try walking with this caveat. The Tenderloin, which starts around 6th and Market and goes on up for several blocks, can be funky. It's not a great place to walk after dark. And here's some Expo survival tips. Don't grab a bag the minute you enter the show floor and start filling it with stuff. In next to no time, you'll be weighed down with dozens of pounds of paper, and you'll hurt yourself. First, take a tour of both show floors. Make a checklist of those places you want to return to, then grab a bag and strategically collect just the stuff you want. Next, wear comfortable shoes. You can tell an Expo veteran by the shoes that he or she wears. Rubber soles and thick padding is a good idea. Next, scope out places to sit down. You'll be walking a lot, and even the hardiest dogs will start barking after several hours of floor tramping. The mezzanine level at Moscone is usually pretty clear of people and offers comfortable places to sit and unwind. Better yet, if you want to sit and learn something at the same time, check out the taste of the conference area on the show floor. This is a place with loads of seats where Mac experts offer educational sessions throughout Expo. I'd specifically suggest visiting this area on Tuesday at noon when I present my iPod Super Session. And yes, that's a plug, but it won't cost you a nickel, and again, it gives you somewhere to sit down. And finally, if San Francisco is known for anything other than its unique politics, it's food. The food at Moscone is fine in a pinch, but if you've got some extra time, explore the area for interesting restaurants. The concierge at your hotel, or at another hotel if your lodgings lack a concierge, can clue you into great places to eat within a few blocks. Oh, and no expo is complete without a trip to the Apple Store at Stockton and Market. In addition to being a great place to stock up on stuff, the store will be hosting a variety of special events during Expo Week. Check this episode's show notes for a link to next week's Expo events held at the Apple Store. And that about covers it. With these few tips in mind, you'll have an even better time in San Francisco and at Macworld Expo. And speaking of Macworld Expo, there's one little thing I'd like to see come out of Expo next week. It's like this. As we reach the midpoint between my winter's highlights, Christmas and Macworld Expo, I have a tiny request of Steve Jobs. Please make my little girl happy. And by this I mean, please exert your influence at Disney, and before leaving the Macworld Expo stage on January 9th, announce that the iTunes Store will, from that day forward, offer Disney's entire back catalog of classic movies. Yes, even those that aren't currently available on DVD. Scan Disney's family offerings at the store, and you find four movies that one might consider classics. Bambi, Cinderella, Dumbo, and The Little Mermaid. Okay, a lot of the Pixar stuff is there, too. And while classic in my book, some of these movies are a little too dark in tone for my five-year-old. And Mary Poppins, The Mini Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, 101 Dalmatians, Snow White, The Jungle Book, Peter Pan, Pinocchio, Fantasia, Alice in Wonderland, Lady in the Tramp, Sleeping Beauty, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, even Son of Flubber, for God's sake. Nowhere to be seen. Those who don't have kids may be unaware that Disney has a unique system for selling its movies time and again. It works this way. Release a classic movie such as Bambi in the new format of the day, which may be VHS, DVD, special edition DVD, whatever, and release it for a limited time. Pull it from circulation until a new format comes along. Blu-ray, HD DVD, flash RAM, brain implant, whatever. Release it yet again and then pull it. Rinse and repeat. 
The formula results in demand created in part through scarcity. I understand that releasing the entire Disney oeuvre in downloadable form goes against this formula, but if I may be so bold as to suggest it, I think the formula has just about run its course. Yes, you can probably sell it all again one or two more times to accommodate some form of high-definition disc, but as at least one member of the Disney board understands, media transmitted over the Internet is the future. Why not embrace that future now, particularly when it offers a few distinct advantages? The first is that placing the entire Disney catalog on iTunes could bring in a mess of money. Under the current formula, Disney re-releases one or two major classics a year. Given that these movies won't be released again for maybe another decade, you lose sales because the prime audience for these movies, four to eight-year-olds, have aged to the point where they're interested in more mature fare. Sure, you got mom and dad to pungle up for Mary Poppins to Peter Pan again, but why hook them for just two movies when you have a chance to offload a baker's dozen? Secondly, one of the major complaints about downloadable movies is they don't offer the same content as the DVD versions. No extras, commentary, rich booklets, or action figures. But suppose the content itself is the come on. Offer movies in the Disney catalog only as downloads, and suddenly the iTunes store offers unique value. And finally, iTunes movies are about as protected as you can make a viable movie download. You can't burn them to disk, nor can you pass them along to others whose computers aren't authorized to play items purchased from your iTunes account. You thus encourage sales by eliminating the pass-along factor that comes with physical media. Convinced? No? Okay, I'm willing to compromise. I'd still like the entire classic catalog available to me on the iTunes store, but if Disney wants to occasionally release a super-enhanced, mega-high-def bonus disc edition of some of these classic movies, fine. Those who demand the most from movies and like the flexibility of playing the things on any movie player they own will line up to buy them. Others like me who'd prefer to settle into the couch with their child tucked under one arm and share the beloved movies of their childhood can easily, and as far as Disney and Apple are concerned, profitably do so. And so much for my Disney rant. Up next, a discussion about next week's events with Macworld's Jason Snell and Rob Griffiths. But before we begin, a word from our sponsor, MYOB. What do Mac small business owners want from their business management and accounting software? MYOB knows they want the same features that their Windows-using counterparts do. That's why their premium small business management and accounting software for Mac, Account Edge, offers fully integrated payroll, multi-user access, and credit card processing, same as their Windows version, because sometimes we don't think that differently. To learn how MYOB can help your small business, visit myob-us.com. Attending Macworld Expo? Stop by booth number 937 and pay them a visit. MYOB. Mind your own business. Smarter. And now my interview with Macworld Editorial Director Jason Snell and Senior Editor Rob Griffiths. Rob and Jason, thanks very much for joining me. You're welcome, Chris. Nice to be here. It's great to be here. As we're all aware, Mac World Expo is about a week away, and we're looking forward to some very exciting products, not only from Apple, but from third-party vendors as well. While there are some products we can't talk about because of non-disclosure agreements, there are some that we can mention. So what, do you, what have you guys seen or heard about in the last couple of weeks that deserve a look at Expo? 
this is Rob. I, uh, the program I saw is actually one called, um, Punch Software has a program called Home Design Studio. And it's, um, as far as I can recall, it's sort of one of the first top to bottom home design, uh, applications for the Mac. You know, it was one of those, um, you can sketch out a floor plan and it translates into 3D and you can do a walkthrough, but above and beyond the floor plan stuff, it'll do the electrical plan, the roof, the lighting, the, uh, the the actual foundation, so you can do things like mock up uh, rooms in your house, or um, it comes with like about thirty or forty um, fully blown blueprints that you can open up and modify, and you can add landscaping and terrain generation. Um, it's just a pretty pretty comprehensive top to bottom program. It's actually been out for a couple months, but I hadn't heard anything about it until I noticed that they were uh, exhibiting at MacWorld next week. Yeah, because uh, there used to be these programs, you know, back in the old OS nine days, where you could design your own garden and your house. But this sounds a lot more extensive. I mean, I don't recall being able to put in wiring and lighting and that sort of thing as well. Yeah, it's a it's a very dangerous toy if you're like me and always thinking that your house could be just a little bit better if only. Dot dot dot. <laughs> Does it have like a walkthrough mode as well? Yeah, you can uh, you can fly around the plan you've drawn in a helicopter, or you can literally walk around as a person kind of wandering and spin, and you look out the windows, and you can put a sunny sky or a rainy sky, and you can put trees and grass, and uh, one of the one of the odder features is that, um, you know, you can plant your landscape, and then it actually has growth rates for everything you've planted, so you can say, fast forward five years and show me the outside view of my home uh, when the trees are five years older. That's nice because there actually were landscaping programs a long time ago that had that, except the graphics were just, you know, these blocks. So really you just saw more green blocks than <laughs> you'd see in the past. But um, that's nice. I'll take a look at that. At, uh, yeah, it's, it's very cool. Uh, Jason, what about you? Any, anything that on the horizon that looks good? Frankly, I, I have lost track of what is um, what I'm allowed to talk about and what I'm not. <laughs> um, you know, Apple doesn't tell us anything, so we are left to our own speculations there. But we have had, um, as a part of our Best of Show Awards process, we've had a lot of people kind of come under the tent and say, okay, well, here's what we're going to be announcing the week before Expo, which is now, or the week of Expo. Parallels is going to be at the show, and, uh, you know, they have a downloadable beta, so a lot of people have, have already tried it out. But they keep coming up with new versions of Parallels Desktop, which lets you run Windows within Mac OS X. And every new beta has some other cool feature that, uh, you know, before I have a, th- a thought about, hey, wouldn't it be cool if they do this, then the next beta has it. Um, it's pretty amazing the work that they've done, and they're going to have some competition because VMware is also going to be at MacWorld Expo. So um, I think that that'll be interesting to see how those two um, those two square off, but uh, definitely parallels. And Adobe's going to have a big presence there. And and we the one we know for certain they'll be showing will be the new public beta of Photoshop CS3. So I'm I'm interested to see how uh, the crowds react to that at the Adobe booth. Yeah, I think that'll be nice because in the past couple of years Adobe either has has not shown up um, or they they do show up in sort of a limited way and say oh yes well here's kind of what we've got going but now finally that they're moving forward with photoshop and some of their other applications this looks like it could be a really big show for them and uh, my hope is that beyond photoshop they'll hint at it's what's coming down the pike in uh, cs3 as well clearly adobe is taking the Mac. I mean, we can't necessarily say that they never took the Mac. They stopped taking the Mac seriously, but there certainly was a little bit of a lag and a little bit of a loss of commitment for reasons that, you know, we could talk about that for an hour. But um, regardless of the past, I think what what we've seen from Adobe is a real interest and commitment in 
um, being a major player on the Mac in a lot of areas, and I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch for this year. Right. Yeah, it was it was it was very interesting to see they actually came out with their Lightroom beta, you know, after Aperture was on the market, and I think you know, kind of as to what Jason was saying in the past, I'm not sure we would have seen that behavior. Oh, Apple's got the market; I'll just leave this bit alone. Uh, but Lightroom, you know, it looks like a very formidable competitor for for Aperture once it finally ships, and I don't know, maybe we'll get more information on that at the show as well. Yeah, because I was wondering how much Aperture sort of lit a fire under Adobe where uh, Apple is able to say, you know, yeah, take your time coming to market, but in the meantime, here's this. There's a real chicken and egg question with Aperture and Lightroom. I I know that everybody heard about Aperture first because Apple was first out the door with it, but, you know, everything that I've heard suggests that Apple knew what Adobe was doing and Adobe knew what Apple was doing, and it was just a matter of who was going to pull the trigger first. And (laughs) Apple pulled the trigger first with a version that they declared final, but that generally was perceived as being not ready for for Mm -hmm. shipment yet. And Adobe waited um, didn't get to make the big splash that Apple made, and and also declared their product a public beta. So it's an interesting contrast in styles. Uh, but both products were in development for a long time before any announcement. So you know, definitely they they were always uh, destined to be competitors. Um, it's just interesting to see how the two companies have gone about it in totally different ways. Right. Now moving away from Adobe for a minute. Uh, in the past couple of years, some people who've attended Expo have complained that, about the iPod's profile, that it's so big that Macworld Expo had sort of turned into iPod Expo. Uh, what do you think about this year? Do you think the iPod's going to huh. be a big deal, a little deal? Or? I, I, don't, I don't know how much of this um, has gotten out in previous podcasts or, or, or columns on Macworld.com. This may be the first time where we admit this, but we actually have a meeting every year where we sit around a table and we, people call in, and you guys called into this meeting, I know, and we go through every single vendor who's on the show floor, and somebody says, I will visit that vendor. We want to make sure that everybody who's got a Mac product or an iPod product that they're showing on the floor that they get a visit from somebody from Macworld. It's only right that, that Macworld editors come to their booths at Macworld Expo. Um, this year, though, it became basically a running gag as we were going through products about, well, who's that vendor, you know, making, and, and not everybody knows every vendor. And whenever we would mention the name of a vendor, you know, inevitably, half the time, somebody would, would uh, say, oh, that's iPod, uh, that's iPod accessories, or those are iPod cases. So, so after a while, we were just sort of convulsing with laughter because really it seemed like every third company was an iPod case vendor. Um, and that's not entirely true, but it's pretty close. So there's going to be a lot of... The iPod is huge, and there is no iPod trade show. And Macworld is essentially the Apple environment trade show. So that's what we, uh, you know, that's what we got. We got iPod stuff, and we got we got Mac stuff. And they're not segregated. They're just kind of all mixed together. Yeah, I think, to further what Jason said, I mean, I think last year, uh, Steve Jobs made a very pointed fact, of, in, at least in the keynote, of saying this is not the iPod Expo, it's the Mac Expo, and that's what we're going to talk about. But you can't change the fact that what companies are selling and what consumers are buying are iPod-related things. And so that I think we're going to again see a ton of iPod companies on the show floor. Uh, and you know, it is hot. You know, last year... Two years ago, we got a lot of complaints from people who said, God, this is just turning into an iPod show. I really firmly believe that the reason we got those complaints two years ago is largely because the Mac stuff was pretty tepid. It was a pretty anemic showing on the Mac side, and there was lots of heat about the iPod. We weren't at the point yet where we were going, God, another iPod vendor? You know, how many (laughs) of you guys are there? This year, and last year, uh, the Mac stuff was great. And so the iPod stuff didn't 
overwhelm the Mac stuff. There was still a lot of iPod stuff there, but there was good iPod stuff, there was good Mac stuff. It all worked together. And, uh, you know, I think the Mac is going so well now that it's not in danger of being swamped by the iPod. And that was my big issue with it was, you know, is this turning into just an iPod thing? And it's not, clearly. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. And particularly this year, they've got both halls open again. So there's going to be lots and lots and lots of products. And so there'll be lots of iPod stuff. As you said, during that call, I sort of remember Dan Frakes just groaning as we <laughs> got into like the L's and the M's and the N's. He's going, oh, yeah, nothing. Oh, that's my beat. Well, and we, we were assigning all iPod stuff to Dan. So it's not, not that he doesn't love iPod stuff. It's what he does. But, right. but after a while, he realized that, you know, we were going to have 10 or 12 editors um, doing half the floor and the other half the floor would be Dan. And he, he had, the, had these visions of him, like, as a ghost at 10 at night, wandering through the empty aisles, just, you know, picking up literature because he has no time to see them during the day. Right. Well, fortunately, we all have iPods, and, and we all have an interest in iPods as well, so it's it's not as if Dan is, is the only person who's going to know anything about this stuff or, or care about it. I'm sure we'll all pitch in at some point and say, oh, this is a cool thing. You ought to check this out. Absolutely. Um, Rob, you recently penned a piece called Reading Between Apple's Lines, where you offered a few guesses about what might and might not be announced by Steve Jobs during his keynote speech. Without creating any rumors ourselves, I think it's fair for us to speculate on some of the rumors flying around the web, much as you did in your piece. So let's start with the iPhone. What do you guys think? Uh, I, it's, it, it, the, the, um, you know, the buzz, if you will, on the rumor sites uh, just seems too high to believe that something won't be said about the phone. But, you know, we've been wrong year after year before, so maybe we're all wrong again. But Not, uh, not we, though. Not we. Not we. Sorry, the, the collect, they have been wrong before. That's right. Yes. We, don't, we don't report on these <laughs> things because we don't like to be wrong. So, yeah, I, 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 I think we will at least hear something about an iPhone. I, I don't know. Maybe I am wrong on that guess again. But, I, you know, I, I think I, I've used several phones, obviously, since the uh, cell phone revolution began, and I still have yet to find one whose interface I really, truly enjoy using. And I think that's where Apple can add something to the obviously very, very crowded cell phone market. Well, and I wrote a piece on Apple or on, on Apple.com. Wouldn't that be nice? Apple, post <laughs> my things um, on MacWorld.com last week about uh, naming for for an Apple phone and for the ITV. And you know, I, I think they're yeah, the noise is so loud about the phone that even though this, that phone rumor has been out there for like five years now, it's probably going to happen. But um, I think it's going to be an iPod. I think it's going to be an iPod with phone or a phone with iPod, and I think iPod is going to be a big part of the story. Yeah, yeah. I remember reading that piece, and that does make sense to me because the iPod brand is so strong Then to introduce yet another brand doesn't make well, a lot of sense. Why would you want – I mean, yeah, why would you want some random other phone from Apple? I mean, the reason that people love Apple's little tiny handheld things is because they love the iPod. So I don't, yeah. I don't personally see why – Apple should try to get away from the iPod. The idea that you could take your iPod with you and you don't need to bring your phone because it's got a phone, it is a phone, I think that's compelling. I think that's the way to sell it. Even if it really is a phone with some iPod functionality from a technological standpoint, I still wouldn't market it that way. I'd still market it as iPod Nano with phone or iPod Phone or iPod To Go or I don't know what they would call it, but I would, I would, if I were running the zoo at Apple, I would jam that iPod name onto as many of those little handheld device you know, yeah. objects as possible. How about a new uh, Mac Pro? I 
think you know there so there's the quad there's a quad core chip out there now so theoretically they could do two and it would be an eight core system but i i think the real question for all of this stuff is 2006 was the year where apple changed the insides of their computers without changing the outsides i think 2007 is the year where apple changes the outsides of their computers that they, we start to see the macs that we have known for the last couple of years to morph into something different so you know could there be, you know, there could they could go to eight cores on the Mac Pro without changing its name, without changing its look, uh, and maybe they will. But um, you know, I, I I think we will see some Mac at the show that is not like a Mac we've seen before. Even if it is still an iMac or a MacBook or a MacBook Pro, I think uh, we're going to start to see them. Um, you know, they've had a, more than a year to kind of incubate new computer designs in their design labs because we haven't seen any other than the MacBook, which is pretty much a minor change. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is when we're going to see it. Whether it's the Mac Pro or something else, I don't know. But, you know, and hey, eight cores isn't bad. Yeah. <laughs> Do we yeah, have they, anything uh, that can take advantage of them, though? The, the science types will obviously love it for pushing, uh, you know, tons of data through, and a lot of the, the Unix-based apps will can run on the eight cores. And OS X will do a little bit of work. But, yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm sitting here in front of this dual machine with four cores running, and right. I, I can't find anything to push those to 100% unless I, like, rip two DVD movies at the same time, you know, then I can sort of get them up there. But right. to a typical consumer, I don't think they'll see it. You know, would George, uh, would George Lucas's shop buy 100,000 of them? Uh, maybe, you know, because they could probably render a lot of frames in a big hurry, or Pixar. Yeah, um, three, 3D rendering definitely takes advantage of it. But, yeah, that's the challenge, is, is to get the software in the OS to, to do a better job. Although... I was talking to the guys at Adobe um, when CS3, uh, Photoshop CS3 was announced, and I asked them about multi-core, and what they said is, you know, it's not all us. Um, <laughs> it, a lot of it is that Intel needs to do a better job at making um, multi-core more efficient, mm. uh, which I, was an interesting perspective. I, I'm not sh- quite sure whether they're just trying to pass the blame back to the chip makers or not, but what they said is that beyond a certain point, there's not that much more they can wring out of it because there's so much lost in the in the um, in the memory bandwidth um, that you know moving things around in order to split it up to those different cores after a while it's not you're not really getting much growth. So right. um, you know, lots of people have a lot of work to do if we're going to be <laughs> seeing eight and sixteen and, and thirty two core systems. Right. Okay. Back to the iPod six G iPod. I don't think so, but uh, and that's just going off. You know, historically, like I said last year, they tried not to make it the iPod show. So I don't, I don't know that they've used Macworld Expo to introduce, you know, quote unquote, the true video iPod. Uh, you know, again, uh, good chance I'm wrong, but I, I think they've tended to want to do those things on their own events so the iPod gets its own attention. So one of the big questions is, is, is Apple gonna? do iPod stuff and entertainment stuff at this show because they could kind of split it off and do its own thing in a special event. But I don't think they will. I think they're going to do a lot of it now. I think the possibility for a new iPod is tied to the the ITV and, and the movie service and stuff like that. I think that, it, you know, it, it makes their their uh, story a little more complete. If they say, and, you could take it with you. But, um, you know, so the, it, it might be. There's just so much stuff that's been rumored out there. And the, the as is typical with these Steve Jobs keynotes, in the end, some people are going to be disappointed just because they expect him to announce 30 products, and it's not going to happen. There are just so many. You want to go with your strong stuff, and you want to – because after a certain point, they can't report anymore in the media about it. So you can announce three products or 20 products. They're still only going to talk about three products. So that's the big question for me. Uh, you know, The iPod might um, might be something he throws out there, and it might be something that they just he tucks in his back pocket and, and waits for another day. Recently, Jobs talked about the ITV. We already know about that, so I think as Rob said in his piece, 
yes, he could come out and say, hey, look, we've got the ITV, and everybody's going to sort of go, well, yeah, we know. So do you think? how much do you think the ITV or whatever they're going to call it is going to be part of this? Same deal. You know, I think it depends on what they want to do. If they're ready now, you know, they, maybe they could roll it out now. Or, you know, it depends on what, what service they've got. If they've just got iTunes or if they've got some sort of movie rental kind of service going on, that that might be, you know, you'd want to roll that out with ITV. Um, is ITV ready to go? I, I think that's the real mystery is are they, are they going to really talk about it and release it or are they going to just, um, you know, hold off and talk about it later? I think those are the choices. I don't think you'd really bring it up and say, see this thing? Uh, it's still going to happen and let's move on. Because what's the point? Why even bring it up then? Yeah, if they're going to talk about it, it's going to be that you can buy one in a week, a month, a day, today. You know. Yeah. yeah. Right, and there's there's still more that needs to be filled in. For example, how is this going to network, and what sort of devices are you going to need to communicate with the thing? So, oh yeah, I mean, yeah, Apple hasn't yeah. talked about the networking protocol yet. Right. I mean, there, like I said, there could be a whole event about that. There yeah. could be a whole event about that. And the download service, you know, whether it's just expanding uh, the movies available on iTunes or whether there's a rental component, uh, you know, you could throw in a widescreen kind of movie-watching iPod device. Uh, you throw all that stuff in there, and you've got kind of a whole event unto itself. Maybe that will be a separate thing. Maybe that we'll see that in, in February or March, and, and they'll focus on new Macs and the phone and, and a, you know, some software this time around. I, I don't I don't know. I get the impression, though, that they'll have a lot to announce. They do, do seem to have a lot of different pots boiling right now. Uh, in one case, Apple has sort of backed itself in a corner by labeling certain products with the year number, for example, iLife and iWorks. So what about iLife 07 and iWork 07? I think we're going to see them. Uh, obviously, it's a, it's a nice revenue stream for Apple every time they do that because they get $99 a piece for every one of us or 79 And, um, you know, there's an obvious hole in iWork in terms of being a uh, AppleWorks replacement. It, it lacks a spreadsheet. It also lacks a database. And, you know, so one of my thoughts on that piece you talked about, Chris, is perhaps we'll see the spreadsheet and the database, and then, you know, we'll have the official burial for AppleWorks, which, you know, just personal opinion could have been buried Ten years ago, <laughs> but um, you know, so I think that's a possibility. I think the spreadsheet is a more realistic thing to expect than the database because there are issues with you know FileMaker and stealing its sales. So I, I definitely think we'll see a new iWork, um, and I don't know what uh, what might happen with iLife. Yeah, you know, I I think um, I mean this is what they trained us to to think is that iWork and iLife come out at MacWorld Expo, and that's fine, and that may be what happens. I wouldn't say it's outside the realm of possibility that they'll hold off only because they may have so much stuff that they don't need to release that stuff. It'll just get lost. And because of Leopard. I mean, that's the other thing that I think is kind of a question is do you want to come out with your suite, you know, your two suites um, three months before Leopard comes out or three to six months before Leopard comes out, or do you want to tie it a little bit more closely to Leopard? Um so you know, we may see it, we may not. I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked if we didn't. Right. So maybe they show a preview and say this is the kind of thing you might be looking at, but you know, wait. Yeah. Wait until later. I, I don't know. I mean, in some ways, iLife has suffered a little bit on the year long schedule because I think that the 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 up individual updates sometimes are a little bit light. So you know, if it was like tied into the to, I don't know. I don't know. It. it, it I mean, look, this is what they've done the last couple of years, so I think the safest bet is that it'll happen again. But I'm just saying, you know, I, I don't know if I'd put my money there just because I think there are some reasons why they might hold off and do it later. But we'll yeah. see. 
Yeah, and I can certainly see it on the uh, clearly on the iLife side. It's tougher to see as a, as a as a regular iWork user. There's some fairly obvious holes. I think they could fill even with Leopard coming out. But yeah, iLife. I mean, I look at iPhoto. Uh, you know, I don't know what more they could do to make it a compelling upgrade to go to this year's version of the program. Even faster. <laughs> 150 it's million always, photos. It's, it's always faster. It's Every always, year they say it's faster. time. Well, you know, one thing I would like to see in iWork, and people barely mention it, but it's some kind of drawing component. Whenever I talk about AppleWorks, I am inundated with messages saying, okay, you've talked about these alternatives to to the uh, word processor and to the spreadsheet and to this and that. I want a drawing program like I find in AppleWorks, and nobody seems to offer one. I mean, it's either really high-level stuff or, you know, these uh, painting programs for kids. And that there does seem to be a hole there still. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, whether Apple feels they need to provide that or whether there is some stuff out there that could probably do the job, I don't know, because there is some stuff out there. Um, but it's true. It's true, and Apple's got, you know, there's a lot of graphics handling stuff that's built into the OS, so it might not even be that hard to do. Yeah, you'd think so. With a with a number of draw programs that were out there at one time, and you look now, and there's and there's really nothing unless unless you're a pro. So, let's talk about the one more thing. We've talked about kind of the rumors huh. stuff. Now, Rob, at the risk of of starting, with that, we're not <laughs> going to. But in your piece, reading between Apple's lines, you went and you commented on on some of these things. Now, let's talk about the thing that you offered as the one more thing. Yeah, it was my prognostication, not my rumor. <laughs> That's right. This is, I think it sounds to me like your dream. Yeah, it really would be. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the, one, of my, one of the saddest days of the last couple of years of my Mac portable existence was when they discontinued the 12-inch PowerBook. Uh, I love that size. I love that form factor. I just, I wanted them to actually reintroduce it with just a higher resolution screen and keep the size the same and maybe even make it a little bit lighter. So kind of in the, in the piece you're talking about, I, I said, you know, well, maybe the one more thing is a, actually maybe an 11-inch screen that runs at 1280 by 800, and it flips over to be usable as a tablet. And perhaps one of the things we haven't heard about in Leopard is a super new handwriting recognition software so that we have a usable OS X tablet-based system, which also happens to be kind of a state-of-the-art, ultra-portable. Um, you know, And that clearly would be my dream, and I, I think the odds of it happening are about 0.01%. But uh, I think there's a market hole there. I mean, whenever you talk about a small portable, um, it's something that a lot of people seem to be interested in. So I, I think there's an opportunity, and it has been one of the rumors we've heard, is at least for that smaller form factor to come back. So I, I really hope that one's right. Amen. I, you know, <laughs> Apple has, has re- released one thing ever that could really be considered a sub-notebook. I mean, it, and that was a long time ago. I, as a, as a, also a former 12-inch PowerBook person, I'd love to see that. I mean, I'm pretty happy with my MacBook, but I would love to see a smaller laptop. I think the one more thing I think is going to be something like that. I, I think unless they unless it's the phone and they hold the phone until the end, which could be. But um, my my impression would be yeah that it'll be a Mac thing and it'll be a new Mac thing. Like I said, whether it's an existing Mac model getting totally be replaced by a new looking thing, or whether it's a new model, it would not surprise me at all if that's what they choose because you know they have been the Intel transition is over now. They spent a a year kind of very conservatively remaking the product line, and you know the, this is Apple. This is the company that that back before last year, you know, when every time a a, a 
product would get remade, everybody, it took your breath away because they say, oh my God, they took the old iMac and they threw it away and they replaced it with this new thing. And I think we're going to start seeing that at Expo. So I, I would think that the one more thing will be something like that, something that's a radical uh, rethink of a, an existing Mac, unless unless it's a non-Mac product that they kind of like, you know, hold to the end like an iPod or a or a, or, or a phone. But if, you know, it is Macworld Expo, so maybe they'll they'll use it as a, as, a, as a Mac, as the big uh, finale. On Apple's website on New Year's Day, they had a new logo, uh, or a new, a new banner up there that was talking about, you know, we've done very well in the past 30 years, but now it's a new dawn and blah, 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 blah. What do you think? I mean, is that, does that really mean anything, or is that just Apple's way of saying Happy New Year? Uh, we didn't really <laughs> do anything for the 30th anniversary when it <laughs> happened, so this is sort of our way of saying good on you, and uh, and we'll see you in a week or so. Yeah, I think it's that. I think it's just sort of hype for the hype for the, the big announcement to come. Start fanning the flames, and and uh, I mean, that's all I read it as. I, I don't, it seems vague enough that I don't even think there's a clue there about anything. People are trying to read. All the criminologists <laughs> are out saying, does this mean that Brezhnev has a, has a cold, or does it mean Brezhnev is dead? And I don't. I don't know. I, I, I think it's just uh, start cranking up the hype machine, getting warming up the hi- engine of the hype machine so you know, that the week it gets uh, warm. Yeah, because it was so quiet already. <laughs> right, but Rob, you did you mentioned in your article something about a 30th anniversary Mac. Well, I don't know. It was in 1997 that they actually introduced the 20th anniversary Mac, which was almost a year late. So it seems fitting that it being 2007, uh, we would get a 30th anniversary Mac, again, almost a year late. Uh, I don't know if Apple has a different definition of when they started than the, than the rest of us do, but it seems, you know, because I think I actually looked up on the Apple History's website, the uh, the 20th anniversary machine came out in spring of 1997, so the timing seems right, and uh, I mean, that machine was uh, clearly a design leader for its day. I mean, nobody had built anything along those lines ever before. Uh, they priced it out of the market, of course, but... Um, it was it was clearly a bleeding edge machine with some incredible design, and I'd, I'm kind of with Jason. I'm, I'm I mean I like aluminum; they look really nice, but I would like to see people that obviously know uh, human interface well and machine design really well. I'd like to see them start pushing the envelope again. If they do release that 30th anniversary back, I would like to you know hear reports of of the guy coming to your house and installing it <laughs> as they did with the 20th anniversary Mac, which uh, I think that was built into the $10,000 price. Yeah, I believe it was. Or whatever. Well, that, was. that was So that was 97, but, and, and, you know, in many ways, you look at that product, that was essentially a flat panel iMac in yeah, 1997. Exactly. Yep. Pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. it was really a, like a, a PowerBook 500, but yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was a little underpowered and a little overpriced, but the, you couldn't you couldn't fault the design at all for for 1997. It was astonishing. Yeah, yeah. it was. And then five years later, you could get it for like 200 bucks on eBay. 200 bucks. <laughs> eBay didn't even exist then. I think was, Apple was blowing them out for like a thousand dollars, eight hundred. Those not, things, those things kept their value actually for a little while because I believe that they were upgradable. So people put PowerPC upgrades in them, and and they they stayed alive for a little while as a, a sort of like the cube. Yeah, you know it's that boutique <laughs> yeah. computer market that's out there where people are really modding it and keeping it. If you work hard, you can keep it alive, but eventually it's just going to go. So, what does that mean? Are we going to have like a solid platinum Mac that costs you know ten thousand dollars and is made with artificial intelligent robot technology or something? <laughs> or? 
Finally, the Apple Killer robot that I've been waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or, that or that will be the tablet. They'll say, okay, if you want a tablet. Uh, yeah, that's right. my thinking. It's yeah. a 30th anniversary tablet. Exactly. Right. <laughs> All of those people out there who think handwriting is a more efficient way to input text. You can spend <laughs> $10,000 for so you can use a pencil again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that's what I don't get about this whole tablet. PC thing or the tablet Mac, as people keep talking about this as a desirable thing. And I see in certain markets, for example, if you're a doctor and you're walking through a hospital or you're on a construction site and you need to tick off boxes, that makes sense to me. But to use a stylus and a computer seems completely backwards to me. I do not write nearly as quickly as I can type, and it doesn't seem efficient to me. But and it, yeah. you, you can see it in the uh, Palm form factor too, with the, the PDA. That you know, one of the bigger selling accessories for PDA is a keyboard. Right. Well, yeah, and now they just make them with keyboards instead of right. Uh, you know, the, the trios are all have keyboards now instead of uh, graffiti input. I, I think, Chris. I think that uh, the, the tablets that always interested me were the ones that did double duty, where you could actually flip the screen mm-hmm. and either put it up and have a keyboard, or flip it down and just have the screen. Because there are times when the keyboard just is is superfluous and gets in the way. If you're watching a video, right, or if you're you know going through a slideshow. I mean, I wrote a piece on MacWorld dot com a month and a half ago about um, reading comic books on your computer and that's one of those cases where I desperately wish I could flip my screen around and lay it down because all I'm doing is hitting next at that point mm-hmm. you know so there are some there are some places where I think as a as a presentation kind of device it would be kind of nice to be able to just get the keyboard out of the way and have a single paned uh, you know thing but you're right that for regular use the last thing I want to do is go into Microsoft Word and start writing things by hand that's <laughs> why I have a computer <laughs> I'm, I'm happy I don't have to write things out by hand anymore exactly and that's why I wonder about the viability of the product because yes yeah. it, it's great for certain situations but are those situations you know common enough that people are going to rush out to buy this thing and I, I think Apple so far has been sort of smart to watch what Microsoft and some others have done with the tablet PCs, and then say, uh, no, no, yep. not for us. Well, I guess we're going to all find out how this turns out next week. Um, Jason and Rob, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. And that does it for this edition of the Macworld Podcast, sponsored by MYOB, Small Business Management Software. MYOB helps you to mind your own business smarter. Thanks to Macworld's Jason Snell and Rob Griffiths, and, of course, to you for listening. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, Mac, iPod, and technology news, views, and information at Macworld.com. And stay tuned. The Macworld podcast goes to Macworld Expo in a big way next week. Throughout the week, we'll be offering several special edition podcasts. Until then, I'll see you.